0: Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. The House China Select Committee plans to hold a hearing tomorrow night on the Chinese Communist Party's threat to the United States. And we've seen massive disruptions to our supply chains over the past three years, including to our food supply. What did the pandemic teach us? And what are the biggest vulnerabilities of America's food supply? We spoke to President and CEO of the Center for Security Policy, Tommy Waller. Tommy Waller, thank you so much for joining us. Sure, yeah, happy to be here. Tommy, if I could ask you right off the top here, what are some of the biggest threats that you see posing to our food and agriculture supply uh, here in the United States?
1: Well, there's a lot of it. You know, first of all, a very small portion of our population actually produces the food that we consume. It's less than 2% of the American population is actually involved in the food and agriculture industry. But then we also have to look at a a lot of other factors, right? You have policies globally, not just in America, but here too, that are taking arable land out of production. Uh, And, you know, the excuse is that it's for the environment and for climate change uh, reasons to stop climate change, right? So we see these vast tracts of land being taken out of production, that's gonna affect our food supply. Of course, the, the war that we see in, in Russia with Russia invading Ukraine, Ukraine's a huge bread for the world that uh, increases uh, scarcity worldwide. Uh, but a couple of other factors are that our whole industry, the food and agriculture industry, is a very complex system that moves food across the country over large distances, and that infrastructure is also vulnerable to attack. And the final point is just our lack of preparedness, right? The average American makes 1.6 visits to the grocery store every week. Most Americans don't store food, and our strategic national stockpile has no food in it, right? So we're not prepared to go without food.
0: Speaking of stockpiles, uh, China, has stockpiled what I believe your report says uh, two thirds of the world's grain. Uh, how much does the U.S. have stockpiled, and what are the implications here?
1: Yeah, when, when we look at so I, I mentioned before, the strategic national stockpile doesn't have any food, right? That would be the type of food that would be readily available. Grain is obviously something that requires a lot of preparation, but it's an important factor. And yeah, what you just mentioned is true. China is stockpiling far more grain than the rest of the world. In terms of a comparison with the United States, you know, at, you know, the last reports so I just checked before the interview, we have about 57 million tons of grain stored. China has 323 million tons. Now, obviously there's a difference between our population size, right? China's population is about four times larger than the United States, but China's stockpiling five and a half times the amount of grain that we are here in the United States. So that shows a difference in preparedness for sure.
0: Tommy, when it comes to China, um, you know, your report talks about them in depth. Um, how big of a threat are they? And in, 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 in beyond just, you know, hoarding a massive supply of the, of the world's food supply, what other uh, concerns are there?
1: Well, so the single biggest concern about China as a threat is the Chinese Communist Party right? The Chinese Communist Party has a history of using food as a weapon. I mean, they've used food as a weapon against their own people. You know, tens of millions of Chinese people starved uh, when food was used as a weapon by the CCP. So it's not the Chinese people. It's not the Chinese nation. It's the Chinese Communist Party that's a threat to, food su- to our own food supply and really to the rest of the world.
0: Tommy, before I let you go, uh, if you could just kind of expound on how the 2020 uh, pandemic that came out of Communist China uh, exposed the vulnerability of America's food supply, and what were some of the factors that you think contributed to this? We recently had a chance to sit down with Nate Fisher, co-founder and CEO of New Founding. The organization's goal is to connect people together to rebuild American civilization. Fisher will talk about the technology sector and the conservative movement. Is big tech a force against the conservative movement? or are the tides changing? Nate Fisher, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Nate, when we look around us, whether it's internationally or domestically, it feels like the world is burning. You have the earthquake in in uh, Turkey, you have the COVID vi- pandemic that is still uh, plaguing China specifically. So many things going on. Politically, we're divided in this country. Do you see any hope for uh, America?
2: So I'm... I, I'm a lot more hopeful. I'm a lot more optimistic than I think many, many conservatives are. And uh, perhaps counterintuitively, it actually comes from uh, digital transformation. So, the problem when you look at the conservative movement, the problem we face is uh, we're actually strongest in conventional politics. We've lost almost every other institution. We've lost business, we've lost big tech. That leaves a lot of people feeling profoundly disturbed. Uh, my background is from business, so I was uh, I, I graduated from law school. I went into uh, buying distressed real estate. I, I feel like I've been sort of inexorably drawn to what I feel are the biggest opportunities to have a major impact. And in 2010, that was buying apartments in Florida, Florida and Texas, and really gaining, benefiting from some of those tailwinds that uh, have steadily increased their population. That did very well, grew to uh, about a billion dollar uh, real estate company. And it was a few years ago that I started seeing, I think, a similar sort of paradigm shift in politics that, to me, creates an opportunity to actually—it creates a game-changing opportunity uh, for those who are able to actually embrace the technology and actually find a way to leverage this technology to help build the build the society that we want to live in.
0: Speaking of technology, the way that we in you know throughout the world consume information, much of it is through uh, social media platforms. Um, many of which are controlled by groups or folks with a left-leaning uh, ideology. With the takeover of Twitter by Elon Musk, do you see this uh, maybe turning the, the, the corner here?
2: Yes, I, I, think that, I think Musk at least foreshadowed an opportunity here. I don't know if we're gonna see existing platforms move on this, but I think what you see is you see that tech does not need to be a force against us. In many ways, actually, uh, when you're at a disadvantage, disruptive technology should be one of the strongest forces that you have in your favor. Obviously, in a stagnant world, in a world where there's nothing disruptive, if your opponents have the upper hand, there's there's not a lot that can clearly change that. Uh, whereas when we have a, uh, what is in many ways sort of a, a totalitarian ideology that's captured a lot of existing institutions, I think that the just the profound Fear that they felt that that even one of them could be lost is a sign of hope that they recognize that uh, that absent this total grip, uh, there is there's the opportunity to force a lot of this wide open. I don't know if I think I think Twitter will continue to be a force like that. Even more than that, I think it proves that others can also leverage technology.
0: To your point, we're seeing uh, former President Trump being reinstated to uh, Facebook and Instagram. Is that possibly a product of you know them? Losing business or seeing that a little, feeling a little bit of pressure from Twitter and when you talk about disruptive technology, could you elaborate on that a little bit for
2: us? So I'm not going to go too far in terms of uh, reinstating Trump. I think that there's plenty of people who believe that uh, th- there's plenty of different reasons that people on the left might want to reinstate Trump on They might want more they, they might see the benefits of civil war in the uh, in, in the right but I uh, I I do think that there's some division. I mean, certainly when you have—if he's allowed on a place like Twitter, uh, it's harder to sort of—it stands out more when you don't allow that. And what you've really seen is you've seen this sort of consistent uh, set of behavior, set of censorship, set of deplatforming across all the big tech platforms, often without any real need to justify themselves. And suddenly, if one person dissents from that, you you need to justify your decision, and uh, there's not a lot of justification for a lot of the decisions they've made.
0: Nate, just switching gears a little bit, and lastly, before we let you go, uh, the House Judiciary Committee has just subpoenaed multiple uh, CEOs of big tech firms, Apple, Google, Microsoft, uh, a few others, to the Hill. Uh, What do you think might come of this?
2: I think we're going to see a lot more. Uh, I think we're going to see stuff like we saw with the Twitter files, I bet it's way worse with some of these other companies. I bet Google, I bet anything Twitter was doing, Google was doing on a far, far larger scale, probably more ideologically complicit. It really, it, it is going much more, obviously, far more control over our information supply. I think you're gonna see a tremendous uh, expose of, of what we've all known and all suspected for a long time, that there's effectively a sort of ideological control. There's, a, there's sort of a bureaucratic ideological class throughout all of these companies that are all enforcing the same things in a way that's really analogous to I think what you'd see if you looked at Chinese tech companies where you have a, you, you actually have sort of explicit ideological censors in these. I don't think it's any different in American tech companies and I think we'll, we'll see a lot of that exposed.
0: Nate Fisher, thank you so much. Thank you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.